I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. This week, I'm joined by Erin Betty, the brilliant founder of Rentreillage, who you may remember for her former fashion brand called Suno, which was a complete hit among Manhattan and global cool girls. After going through a hard time following the closure of Suno, which happened at around the same time Trump was elected in office in the US, Erin spent time thinking about what she could contribute to the world of fashion, seeing how broken the modern system was and still is. She turned her focus to vintage garments and rentriage was born. Continuously working on rethinking the system, Erin addresses more than sustainability through her current upcycling venture. Before we get to our conversation, I want to thank our sponsors. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women entrepreneurs achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandysfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. All right. Erin, it's a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I am going to start by asking you um, what I always ask my guests at the start of these interviews. And growing up, what did you think you'd be doing later in life? And did you ever imagine you'd have a career in fashion? Yes, I did imagine I would have a career in fashion. I actually, when I was um, very young, I wanted to be a florist. And then as I grew a little older, I wanted to be a hairdresser. And then um, and then in fourth grade, I had a friend. We, My mother, uh, who was a professor, went on sabbatical at Harvard. Um, so we lived in Boston. We lived in Cambridge. And that was my first time living in actually a big city because I grew up and was from um, a town called Colorado Springs, Colorado, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, it has a decent population, but it's very... Uh, it's very in flux because it has a large military population and it does feel like a small town, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So, um, that was my first experience living in a big city. And I had, um, a friend at school and her father was a fashion designer, Alan Bilderian. Um, and it was the first time that it had ever crossed my mind that it was actually a possibility that that was something you could do with your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so from then on, from fourth grade onwards, I told everyone I wanted to be a fashion designer. Wow. And then you actually made it happen. Um, and was it, was the path obvious to you? I mean, you, you obviously had, you know, somebody who inspired you for, for that journey. Uh, was it clear that you go into design that you, you know, build your own brand or did that kind of happen over time? Um, no. It was not obvious at all. My parents were definitely very against the idea. You know, my mom was a professor and then a dean. My dad was a lawyer. Um, you know, they had very traditional careers and um, they did not encourage me to become a fashion designer. It was it was absolutely mandatory that I get a liberal arts education. Um, I started to explore writing and journalism. But um, I just really wanted to work in fashion. And so I went to UCLA for undergrad and um, I interviewed for buying positions. And I ended up going with um, The Gap has a retail management program that I, I, I went and did. At the time, Mickey Drexler was there. So it seemed like a great decision. And I learned different aspects of fashion. I learned production, 
um, which is getting things made. I learned planning, which is planning out inventory and financials. And I learned merchandising. And um, I got placed as a merchant and I just hated it. I was in spreadsheets all the time. All I wanted to do was to make clothes. Um, and they saw that and it was an amazing company and they moved me to New York where I started to work with the design team. Um, and there I acted as the liaison. It was kind of a product development position where I acted as liaison between design and merchandising. Um, and while I, I loved that job, I will say I just wanted to be a designer. And so I went to school, I went back to Parsons. And at that point in time, I had proved I could make money. I, I had, uh, you know, I had definitely proved I was interested in fashion. And I just, I don't think my parents could say mo no anymore. <laughs> so, right. so, so yeah. So, and after, after Parsons, what led you to want to start your own brand and have the courage to actually start a fashion brand knowing that it's a highly competitive industry um there's a, a ton of fashion brands out there very few actually make it uh what was that process like for you um well i i had a mentor so i followed her for a little while and um you know and then 2008 happened and that was a very difficult year and um at that time i you know had a friend you know socially really and he wanted to start a line made out of Africa and okay. wanted it to be made out of vintage congas. Mm -hmm. And um, I was desperate to find a different job. And, um, you know, I had just been working as a designer in New York in the garment district, which is a grind. And right. so um, I just kind of took the leap and did it with him. And honestly, like, two months later, I was in Africa trying to get this thing produced. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's how I, that's how I first started my own line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, no, I, I wish I had some inspirational story about how I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I, I honestly feel like entrepreneurship really found me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and now kind of looking back, um, I can't imagine not being an entrepreneur, you know, mm -hmm. I, I just, it's the most terrifying thing in the world, but, um, building something is just, it's beautiful, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it should be beautiful. It can be beautiful. So that's how, that's how we started Suno. I was going to say, and Suno was born. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember, I remember the brand and absolutely loved it. And you had, you know, a, a very unique concept in, in the, in the marketplace, especially at that time. Um, what was that experience like? And did it feel, was there a point when you felt like this is what I'm meant to be doing? You know, I have a successful concept on my hands or was it always kind of looking for, you know, the next thing and, and I, are, are we going to make it? Because I, speaking to a lot of entrepreneurs, especially uh, women in fashion, you know, there's often that sense of it, it's we're, it's that fine line of we never feel like we're fully successful. It's so it's an industry that's challenging, always evolving. So what was that like for you at Suno? So the initial stages. So we we launched with these kind of vintage congas, mm -hmm. and it was a very specific idea, and it was a very cool idea. But it hit me at a certain point that 
in order for us to make it as a collection, we would have to change course. And I do remember, you know, really thinking about it and just thinking that there was an opportunity at that time for a highly printed collection in the United States. And that's really kind of how we found our footing and, and what became, you know, one of our core kind of concepts. Um, but the nature of Suno was, uh, it was kind of glamorous and it was very exciting, but no, I mean, I don't think I ever felt like we were completely financially successful. Um, mm -hmm. we were definitely putting a lot of money into the company and, um, and I think deep down, yeah, that, that was troublesome to me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I do think there is a certain level of entrepreneurship where you do always feel like failure is right around the corner. Right. Um, but I also think that uh, for many of us, that's precisely what keeps us going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, so unfortunately, Suno, you know, wasn't wasn't successful in the end, and uh, the 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 brand ended its existence was that was that moment you know really i mean it's 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 never easy when we've put something in, into the world and we have to you know put an end to it for whatever reason but um was that something that kind of lit a fire in you to immediately want to build something else did you how did you process kind of that that whole moment in time when uh, you had to let go of the brand so in my early 20s, I went to a psychic and she told me when I was 37, I would experience a divorce, but that it wasn't a divorce, but it was a divorce. And right. that was like precisely what happened. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, I hoped, I thought that I would be able, that we would, that like the child, which is Suno, would be able to kind of continue on, would be able to carry on. And, and that definitely wasn't the case. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, it was, it was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible for me. And I, I don't actually even know how it sent me into such a sad place. You know, I mean, looking back, it's something that I've really, really been trying to sort through over the past four years is just how the closure of that brand affected me so deeply. Um, and I think some of it might've been even just a premonition about everything that was to come, not just mm -hmm. having to do with my personal experience and the closure of Suno, but with with the world and the way that it was about to change. And um, what I said, that's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I I I just I knew I wanted to start something new. Um, I didn't know when. I didn't know how. Um, I am a, I am a worker, you know, I get my, um, sort of, uh, self-worth out of work, um, which has taken me a long time to accept in and of itself, you know, as a, as a woman and now as a mother, um, and as a wife and all of those things. Um, but work is really important to me. And I, I thought I could work my way out of this and it wasn't working. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I started meditating. I started meditating really when Suno started to close. Um, 
when that was on the horizon, just because I was pregnant and I was just so scared. And then I gave birth to a colicky baby, at which time Trump was elected and the fashion industry started to just fall on its head. And I was just thrown into a phase of really deep self-questioning. I questioned my privilege. I questioned, you know, what I thought I had accomplished. I questioned how I was feeling okay about producing clothes in this way. I questioned, I questioned everything. I questioned, you know, why my life looked a certain way and other people on the streets life might look completely different. And I could not figure out any answers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's just, I think it all coincided with a time in the world where we just have so many options and we can't, it's, it's just, I don't know how to describe it other than gray, you know, it's just, everything became gray. You know, before I thought there were a few things that were black and white, people were good, people were bad. And suddenly that concept, it it no longer applied. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why that closure, you know, I, I have been trying to put it together and I think I can, I think I'm finally to a place where I'm, I'm no longer anxious and, and, and sad all the time, but, um, truly it affected me in a way that was very surprising because I, I think if anyone knows my kind of personal history, I have been through much harder things, but there was something about that that really forced me to go inside and question everything. That's so interesting. And I like how you said that was almost like a premonition for what came because that's what the rest of the world experienced, right? We got this massive reset that is making us question and challenge, uh, you know, the way the way we do things, the way we make clothes, the way we we make all consumer goods, are the future of our planet. So, for you, that led you that led you eventually to want to start uh, create a, a new brand. And I want to hear about Rentreage. Um, and at the heart of Rentreage, there is that sustainability concept, which I'm assuming was you know, the fruit of your reflection around the way we're making and consuming things, basically. And we know the fashion industry is broken and COVID has put an even, uh, you know, a stronger spotlight on, on the issues uh, within the industry. So, and but, but you came up with the concept before. So you had kind of that, uh, you came to that realization earlier than, than many other brands and designers. Um, so tell me about, you know, the, the creation and the launch of Montreal. So, you know, very shortly after Suno closed, um, well, I was just extremely pregnant and then I had a baby. And so I had a lot of time to kind of sit and think about things, unfortunately. (laughs) And, um, I kept considering the possibility of leaving fashion and what that would look like. Um, and, uh, it didn't, I, I couldn't, it didn't make sense. You know, in the end, as I, as I thought about these things and as I kind of mold over everything, fashion's what I know how to do. I mean, my first job was in retail, it, it, it clothing, retail, selling clothes, and, you know, to some extent selling products, you know, it's, I've expanded over the years into home and whatnot, but it's what I know. It's just, it's just my training. And, um, 
and I truly believe in the power of, of beautiful things. Um, you know, I, I really believe that having a beautiful setting or, or dressing in a way that makes you feel strong and empowered, like that's a very beautiful concept to me. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I couldn't go away from it entirely. And so I realized that rather than totally flip the switch on my life, why don't I try to change that which I know? You know, that perhaps that's where my greatest power lies. Mm-hmm. And so um, I knew I wanted to start Ron Triage. I just didn't really know how. Mm-hmm. Um, I started doing a lot of research into uh, sustainability, into sustainable fabrics. Um, I, you know, was talking to all the fabric manufacturers that I know. And I couldn't um, quite figure out how it wasn't still wasteful. (laughs) I mean, you were still making fabrics. You still had to order to a minimum. You were still cutting less than that. Mm -hmm. likely. Um, So, so that was a struggle for me. Also a struggle for me was the eco brands that I knew and had seen were very specific looking, you know, and they weren't what I would call totally inspired. I think they were definitely good at using the materials available to them, which still to this day is quite limited. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I just, I really had to sit and think and kind of break things down. And it really reminded me of when we started Suno and we were in Africa and we were trying to produce this collection and you have to just go back to the total fundamentals, you know, like pre email, (laughs) pre, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're trying to cut a garment and the generator goes out, like what, what do you tell people? And um, that's what it reminded me of, you know, like how do I create a sustainable line in the most sustainable way possible? And I just, I couldn't get around not using old things, you know? Mm -hmm. And of course that's just the hardest way to do it. It's, it's so hard, but, um, I was like, well, if if we can do it beautifully, it could be even more expressive and more unusual, uh, and more beautiful fundamentally than, than any other way. And so, um, I, I reached out to a friend of mine, Albert Torres, who's a tailor, and we just started to play Mm -hmm. and, you know, honestly, I think like a month later, I, I, we ended up doing a, a small presentation and that was the first season of Ron Triage. And that was uh, February, like, you know, it'll be two years ago in February. Mm-hmm. And what did it feel like when the brand was, was finally out in the world? You know, what were consumers reaction? Did it, and did it feel at that point, did you feel kind of more confident about what you were putting out in the world and, and kind of believing that your, your, your brand was having an impact and not creating more, more waste in the world at the same time? No, absolutely not. Um, (laughs) You know, I, there's a a pattern here. Yeah, no, uh, I, um, I don't know how exactly to put it, but like, when something inside of me tells me to do something, I cannot resist doing it. So I do it. Um, and very often that voice is a little premature. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I would say it's been, it, it's been premature and it's been very hard. I think people 
retailers want this to be simple. They want it. They want it. They want everything to look the same. Mm-hmm. And I have a fundamental belief that consumers will love the originality of it. And there's a, mm-hmm. there's a slight conflict there. Um, and it's asking retailers to be really forward thinking and it's asking, you know, and it's, it's also trying to produce something in the hardest way possible. And it's trying to find the right team. And in addition, my idea was big. I, I, there was a difference between here and Suno. I, I know what I want to create. And I believe that this is about speaking to a specific woman, which means she wants things for her and, and, and hopefully someday man, um, which means, you know, whoever that is, they want things for their home. They want their beauty to be clean. They want their clothes to feel unique and elevated, but one of a kind and original. And, um, so in a way it was a much bigger idea and it was a much clearer vision. And, um, it's also been a, uh, it's been a, a slow <laughs> and difficult uphill battle into acceptance. Um, but it's, it, I feel it. I feel it. And I, I, I think that that's the craziest part is I just am going on this gut instinct and I'm beginning to feel it click. And, um, you know, this is a very early conversation, really, you know, the brand is still kind of young, and we're still establishing ourselves as a brand and branding a fashion company takes a long time. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's not there are very few overnight successes in fashion, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so um, and so, yeah, I wish I could say like, I, I, the only confidence I have now is coming from this internal knowing that, um, that I believe that that this has legs for a future and mm-hmm. from a fact that it is beginning to click and I'm beginning mm-hmm. to see that resonance. But no, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> I don't know how I've kept it going. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm really stubborn and uh, hard-headed when it comes down to it. And, you know, you've mentioned how, and in, in, in your words, you said, you know, sometimes your ideas are, are a little premature. Um, there's been there's been a shift in a way um you know we've been asking ourselves as a society some some tough questions over the past few months covid as as we already discussed has um kind of accelerated you know th- those findings and 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 those realizations and then the social justice movement or racial justice movement around black lives black lives matter um so all of that in the past few months which kind of push consumers to start, you know, asking themselves questions about, we ask ourselves questions about the way, what we buy, the, the, the way they're, the, you know, the way things are made, where they come from, et cetera. There's a movement around supporting local as well. Do you think these are going to be, and, and you very much are in a position to offer, you know, a solution that is addressing a lot of these questions. Do you think that this is going to be lasting change? Do you think we're going to, go back to the old normal and it's not just consumers because the industry has to be making changes to adapt um, to, to, to be able to answer these questions and offer consumers some responsible choices. Um, is, is that really happening in your opinion? Are we seeing the shift or is it just talk that's going on for a few months and we're going to end up where we were pre COVID? I don't think we ever end up where we were, you know, uh, once you know it's 
it's from the cracks where the light comes in, you know, with like that Leonard Cohen quote. Mm -hmm. um, no, there's no way we'll be able to go back. It's just, and I, I really understand why people would want to, but I look back on the life, my life has changed so dramatically, mm -hmm. you know, in ways that I did not expect. Um, I, I've moved to Connecticut <laughs> from New York City, which really was a defining aspect of me. You know, getting to New York from Colorado Springs, Colorado was hugely uh, definitive in, in who I am. You know, mm -hmm. so the fact that, you know, now I'm living in Litchfield, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Seven acres. I don't know. The whole thing is it's a it's a total shift. So so do I think that it will continue? I hope so. You know, mm -hmm. I, I hope that that we'll try to to live smaller lives in a way and that we'll try to buy things um, from artisans and, and buy things that we know are made well and um, consume less and appreciate our lives more. Um, you know, I'm spending a lot more time with my kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the imbalance between the rich and the poor that exists right now is so huge and so devastating. And I don't know that it will be easy to start to change that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so these shifts that we're talking about, they're seismic. You know, and if we can start seeing a shift in, for instance, in global warming by within my lifetime, I will be, I will be very happy. Um, but that's, that is the, the changes that we're talking about. They're, they're so massive. And so from a spiritual perspective, from an age of Aquarius perspective, from a like premonition inner knowing perspective, yes, I believe we are on the right path. And yes, I believe we can make these changes. All of that being said, in reality, in this kind of like three-dimensional world in which we live, I, if I watch the news, if I try to make sense of voter suppression and, and just the innate inequality that exists within like the fundamental fabric of our society. I cannot, I cannot, and I cannot see a way out of it. So um, those two things are at a conflict for me, you know, kind of this, this spiritual knowing versus this true reality. And I just, I really truly hope, and I, I think they're at a conflict actually for many people. Um, and I think that that is why we feel this tension right now. And we are so troubled and, um, I just hope that I hope that we can work our way towards towards this more spiritual kind of naturalistic life, I suppose. This season of The Bren is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. 
TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. Sometimes I just enter into these kind of <laughs> talks of, of randomness. <laughs> no, it, it, it actually, you answered the question perfectly. Um, I want to talk about female leadership. And you and I had a, a, a discussion pre-interview pre a, a little while ago. And there's there's kind of a myth around, you know, the female founder. We've seen, um, we've seen a, a lot of uh, especially young startup brands, you know, that are that are um, a woman is at the at the helm, and uh, women have been there's kind of that new archetype of the woman founder who's you know very visible, shares a lot about her life, kind of you know shows us her vulnerable side, and and will will share publicly kind of challenges and obstacles and and talk about her own weaknesses. Well, here's the problem with mythologies and being a leader and being in the public eye, we as people, we're constantly changing, right? We're constantly evolving. Uh, I mean, I think scientifically, our brains are really constantly, constantly changing. Mythologies are quite stagnant. You know, uh, personas can be quite stagnant. And the problem is, is when you start to buy into your own mythology, um, there's a huge risk because it's, it's all ego. Right. And so, um, one, we love to see a rise and two, we love to see a fall, right? This is just, it's like, so true. It's, it's like historic. So, um, I can't, I, I don't know many of these younger founders who've experienced this, but I do know that, um, I am so grateful for the fact that I have failed and I have failed hard you know? Um, and, you know, I hope in five or six years, we can have a conversation. And I will be able to speak to the fact that I've succeeded because of all of these failures. So far, I'm just kind of trudging along trying to make it happen. Um, but uh, I, I think it's such a fine line between um, humility and insecurity, right? Mm -hmm. And when you're a female founder, you have to be humble. Like it's, it's a demand, it's a societal demand, but you can't be insecure, you know? And, um, I don't know. I, obviously it's totally unfair, but, um, I don't really like speaking about how unfair everything is right now because I just feel beyond blessed, you know, compared to, to people around me. But, um, I just think when, when, when you believe, when you believe too much in your own personal power, uh, it can be very hard to treat people around you really well. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that that's, I think that that's what happens. And I think that that happens to people. You see it so frequently. You see it to people who are successful too quickly. You see it, what happens to people who become famous too quickly. Um, it's just, you can, you can't, I mean, Beyonce has managed to stay on top for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like she is remarkable, but, um, in general, like you just can't remain at that place. And, 
Um, and I think what ends up happening is you end up holding on to this idea of yourself and it, the fact that that idea is, is breaking away kind of like, you know, slowly, um, you, you, you start to cling to it and it makes you act mm -hmm. in a way that is not present and it's not, it's not understanding and, um, it's not forward thinking. So, so yeah, I, I think, I think that, I think that that's, that's the tragedy of youth, you know, mm -hmm. and the tragedy of, you know, Western society is that we just yeah. celebrate youth, you know, I, I think mm -hmm. it has a lot to do with females, but I think it has a lot to do with um, everyone now. Youth is so celebrated and, um, perhaps it would be much more freeing if we just allowed all of these famous 20 year olds to, if, if we just instilled in them that, that that is actually the best and most fundamental time to make mistakes and that that's mm -hmm. precisely what they should be doing. They should just be making mistakes left and right and going for it because it is from those mistakes that they will learn. You know, and it's, it's really unfair. It's really unfair to those founders. They've been set up really. And, yeah. and, you know, I can only imagine what they have to go through if they want to climb out um, or they never will, you know, if they want to climb out because the, the hardest part is just intrinsically the self reckoning that can come with that failure, um, especially after the entire world has celebrated you and then almost celebrated your fall, you know? Yeah. Um, so in a way I was quite lucky with Suno that it wasn't, it wasn't, I, I wasn't that famous. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, right. just really deeply personal and, and difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I want to ask you my, my favorite question to ask guests. Um, since we are all talking about, it's a show where we, we speak to women and, and women listen to us. So. Um, what's one thing you wish women would do more of? Love one another. You know, I, I, it's, it's funny to me because we're, we are women. We're naturally maternal. You know, most of the households I know we're taking care of, you know, thousands of things on any given day. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have this default mechanism to feel really competitive. Um, you know, it's very likely anthropological, but it's a hard thing to kind of get over. And it's, it is, you know, women are as responsible for the latent segregation that exists in our society, um, white women in particular. And um, I just, I, I hope that we can learn how to embrace one another and put one push one another forward, um, help others find their voice, um, or perhaps even their purpose. You know, I think there's some myth out right now where we all have to have this loud voice. Um, we all need to be creating content, content, content. And, um, <laughs> you know, for some of us, we actually just, we just want to be supportive. We want to be behind the scenes or we want to, I, I just think like 
loving people for who they are and and really supporting our neighbors and supporting other women you know it's cliche because everyone says it but it's true mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and it definitely needs to to happen more and 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 for having having had that conversation a few times it's it's the myth of scarcity as well because we think there's not enough room for for us women and in the past there wasn't but it's changed now um so there's no reason for that competition to exist anymore yeah well thank you so much erin it was amazing uh speaking with you oh thank you I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brand is Female. You got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Yeah.